Welcome to the Collecting Confidence Podcast, where we'll explore confidence, what it is, why we need it, how we get it, and how we lose it. I'm John Barrett. Hello and welcome to Collecting Confidence. This is John Baird and today we're going to be talking with Michelle Lau. You may have seen her before on television. She's most recently a product specialist and a gem and jewelry expert on QVC. But I met her back at the University of Minnesota and this is one of my confidence journeys along the way. I was sporting a big head of curly hair back then. Went by the nickname of Curly. Looked like I came off of the set of Welcome Back Cotter. I'd been a gymnast, and when I went to college, I thought, well, maybe I'll go out for gymnastics. Well, they had a very good gymnastics program at the University of Minnesota, but they were doing two-a-day practices, eating rice cake, counting calories, and they were really good. I adopted some self-doubt, big time. Whoa, didn't think I could do that. A friend of mine said, well, you know, you could be in cheerleading, still do the gymnastics, but you wouldn't have to do the two-a-day practices and eat rice cakes, count calories. I thought, wow, I'd never considered that. So I went to a basketball game and watched the cheerleaders more than the basketball game. They were confident and empowered. They were good. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool to be in a basketball court with 20,000 people and not care about what people think. So I decided I'd try out and I went to the tryouts having no idea what I was getting into. It was in the actual basketball court and I showed up on a Saturday. There were many men and women trying out and they separated us up. The guys went to one area and the women went to another area and they were all doing their dancing, learning eight counts and doing partner stunts with guys and the guys were over there. The current cheerleaders were doing the training and so I was learning some eight counts and learning how to sing the school song and doing some stunts I was so busy doing the guy tryouts, I didn't really get to watch the girls try out, see the stuff that was going on. But I did notice that people were dropping off during the week. We started with, you know, X amount of people and we're down to about half of that by the time the end of the week rolled around. People just realized this wasn't for them and that's fine. But eventually they announced the squad and I made it. And I instantly switched from self-doubt to the imposter syndrome. Whoa, what? I shouldn't be here. Why me? I don't get this. And it was a very interesting experience going from the trying out to two weeks later, my partner and I were performing in front of the student body and doing stunts and things like that. Very quickly, we got thrown out in front of people to do some stuff. And when the squad was paired up, I got the former captain of the dance line. My dancing is not great and her dancing was spectacular. So I had my work cut out for me to keep up with her dancing. I met her then. You're about to meet her now, Michelle Lau, so stick around. Joining me today is Michelle Lau, and Michelle is a diamond and colored gemstone graduate from the Gemological Institute of America, and she is on the international board of the Women's Jewelry Association. Michelle, thank you for joining us today. Hey, it's great to get back together with you, Curly. This is You go by Curly? We go back a ways. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who don't know Michelle, Michelle, amongst the many other things that she has done, was my cheerleading partner back in college at the University of Minnesota. 
So we have a long, long history together. And because of that, I've seen you do a lot of different stuff from dance line and cheerleading, but I'm very curious on what you think confidence means to you. To me, confidence is a feeling. It's not necessarily how you project to the world, although that's a part of it, but it's how you feel inside when you're presenting information or when you're presenting yourself. That's the difference to me. Okay. And let's, before we get into the stuff that you're currently doing, which is amazing, I want to go back to when we first met and you had had a year of being on the dance line. Is that correct? Yeah. I was captain of the dance line at the university of Minnesota when I met you, John, and I loved it. It was so much fun. Those girls, some of those girls are still, you know, my heart and I, we still stay in contact to this day, but I always like to kind of try things that I've never done before that I don't think I can just to try them. And I had been a cheerleader all through high school, all through junior high school. And I thought, you know what? I miss like actually cheering, which is different than being on the dance line. The thing is, is I don't know how to tumble. And I don't know if you've noticed, but competitive cheerleading, which was what we were involved in at the University of Minnesota, there's a whole lot of that. (laughs) So I thought, what the heck, I'll try it. And uh, luckily, I had a partner that kind of was an overachiever in that department. So together, I just faked it. I mean, when John would tumble, I would just make sure I was jumping at the same time he was in the air. (laughs) So I sort of rode his coattails in that way. But no, it was really fun. And I really enjoyed every second of it. To get even to get to be a cheerleader in high school. Let's go back to that, because um, high school is one of those times when people are perhaps more vulnerable, more worried about what people think of them. And that kind of sets you on a path for life. Whatever you do in high school, it's hard to live that stuff down, at least amongst your friends. So how did you get into cheerleading back then? How did you get up the courage and the confidence to do that? Yeah. And in junior high school as well, because that to me was a more insecure time in my life than even high school was. I think I was a little naive. I don't think I knew a lot of fear. I mean, in my house, we were brought up to say yes before we say no and just to take chances and to try new things. And so my mom has always been really important in that way for me, always super supportive and, you know, get out there and try it. Why not give it a whirl? And if I wouldn't have had those values instilled at an early age, I don't know that I would have been able to go on to become, you know, to get involved in the news, to get involved in talk shows, to, you know, become a part of the HSN and QVC on air talent team. I don't know that I would have had the confidence without um, just believing that I could from the very earliest age, do anything that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And how about when you got then to college and you decided to go into dance line is dance line, something that you had done before. Yeah. I had danced my whole life and, um, took, you know, tap and ballet when I was a young girl, you know, like every young girl does and really enjoyed it and loved it. I liked to dance. I liked the exercise, the physicality of it, all of that. And it just seemed like a natural thing. The girls that I liked in high school were on the dance line and we had a tremendously fun time. So it was more for me, more fun than the entertainment value of it. Like I was less of a performer and more was interested in the friendships that were formed on the dance team uh, in high school. And again, there's 10 or 11 of us that still get together and still see each other regularly from then. We had a large dance line. The Chevelles, go ponies, go ponies. Yeah. <laughs> so, nice. Yeah. And I still go back, watch the football games, you know, and now it's really fun because my nephews have gone through the football program 
at Stillwater High School. And uh, my youngest nephew is now um, a junior, I guess, at Stillwater High. So it's mm-hmm. kind of fun. And when you got to the U of M and you had been at Stillwater, which Stillwater is a nice sized high school, but it's got to be different when you head into Memorial Stadium and see 50, 60,000 people there. Does that get you your confidence? How does that how does that impact you? You know what? It was exhilarating. It was scary, but it was exhilarating at the same time. Again, I like to do things that I've never done before and see how far I can go with things. And so it was, I remember that moment. I'm sure you do too, John, when we stepped out there and the lights went on for the first time and we were surrounded by, I mean, you and I were on the very first squad that was ever in the Metrodome on the turf. I mean, we were the very first ones and I'll never forget that. To me, that was a shiver moment. You know, I remember when they knocked down the brick house, we snuck over there in the middle of the night and took a couple of bricks, you know, <laughs> Which I said, just because I wanted a piece of that history. Right. So, uh-huh. yeah, it uh, some of my best memories, you know, some of the most fun that I had were really had with you and everybody that we were with at the time. It was just a wonderful time of my life. Uh-huh. And one of the lessons that I got from that was that you know, I it seems like everybody's looking at you. It seems like everybody's watching you and you're hard on yourself because you know, everybody else is going to be hard on you because they must have seen you trip and fall and do that. And in honesty, most of them aren't paying any attention. And I remember we had a number of people on our squad that didn't tumble or wouldn't tumble. And their family was there and said, I didn't know you could tumble because they hadn't really even been paying attention and just saw a bunch of people tumble and just assumed. And I'll just, I I would just go, Oh, you did. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Al Cromie Cromie said, my family came up to me and said, where did you learn to tumble? And Al never tumbled. You know, he just ran across and was very energetic. Yeah. I think you just assume everybody's watching you and scrutinizing you. And it's like, they don't have time to do that. They got other things to do. But I think we, in our mind, assume they're doing that. And so we're a little bit harder on ourselves, scrutinize ourselves a little bit more, but Mm -hmm. it is kind of fun to be out there to get that energy going and stuff. Yes. How about when you're in smaller groups? Do you find that you have the confidence in small groups? Not as much as I do in large groups. And I don't know why exactly that is. I guess I feel more under the microscope in a room, like in a boardroom situation. I just had a Zoom meeting this afternoon and things did not go well for me for (laughs) some reason. Again, I knock over my microphone or they can't hear me or, you know, whatever. And I was really feeling vulnerable by that. I'm supposed to be a professional. And I called, um, I called the woman that I report to, her name is Angelina. She's awesome. I called her after the fact and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm mortified. I can't believe I made such an ass of myself. Sorry for that, for the language, but I can't believe I did that. I knocked over my microphone. You couldn't hear me, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh my gosh, don't even think twice about it. Nobody even noticed. And so to your point, that just happened to me today. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it is ego. I think we need to get out of our own way right? People really aren't as interested in us as we are. Right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, nobody wants to look foolish, g- granted, mm. right. but really in the big scheme of things, is anybody going to remember that, you know, 10 years from now that I was five minutes late to a meeting or no one right. could hear me speak? You know, nobody's going to care. Yeah. So that there is some confidence in letting it be and just letting what happens in the world happen naturally. Mm-hmm. And not trying to control your environment because you really can't, you know, when John's holding me up in the air, two people high 
And suddenly he decides that he sees a, something shiny on the other side of the basketball <laughs> court. And I end up on my butt on the center court. Um, nobody noticed. It was me. the wind. It was the it wind. Was the wind. <laughs> it was a wind. Plus, it was very majestic <laughs> when I got to be wheeled out in the wheelchair and I could yeah. wave at the fans, right? No, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> then I was the center of attention. But no, nobody really notices. Nobody really cares. But you. So. Right. You need to get out of your own way, get outside of yourself and try to enjoy the moment that you're in, no matter what's happening around you at the time. How about from there, you got into a number of things in the world of television. And that's a little bit different, I think, because you don't get the immediate feedback. It's a little bit like doing a radio broadcast or even a podcast. You don't get that feedback of what people think. How did that go for you switching over into television? Are you talking about the talk show for WCCO or are you talking about for yeah? starters? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was, that was a fluke, but again, let the universe just happen and it'll take you someplace. I was doing social reporting for an on-air personality, just going on and talking about new restaurants that were opening parties and things like that. And somebody called in sick for work on their regional talk show on WCCO uh, television. And they said, Hey, do you think you could sit in? And so a very dear man, his name was Tom Denani, and he has since passed. He was the main host and I was the co-host and I went in and we clicked right away and we had so much fun with it and got really good response. And so they asked me back and I ended up replacing that person. And I was there for nine years. And that's really where I got uh, my confidence in front of the camera and where I got my first break. But it took a lot of, you know, making mistakes and doing dumb things before I got you know, really the privilege of working nationally. So mm -hmm. I feel really fortunate for that experience, but it all happens because it's supposed to, right? So we just need to relax into what's happening and the confidence will come, you know, just take a deep breath, center yourself and try to get out of your head. That's the main thing. So that first time that you were on, how nervous were you about that? Um, not I mean, with Tom, you mean, mm -hmm. um, he was so easy, right? He was so easy going and he was so welcoming and warm. And his wife was the director, Sandy Danani. And she was so awesome that I didn't really, again, I didn't really think much about it. So I wasn't as nervous, mm -hmm. but the more I got into it, the more nervous that I got, because I realized what I was actually doing after a while. And so again, if I relax, I'm much better than uh -huh. if I get all wound up. And so that would be my advice to anybody. But yeah, I was a little <laughs> bit of a little bit of a mess after I would say like, if I, when I thought I was just sitting in for a day or two, that was easy breezy. I didn't care. But when it was my, you know, my show, my gig, and I was involved, like the way that I was then before every show, you get nervous. I get nervous still to this day. Mm -hmm. Every time I have an appearance, every time I go on the air, John, because mm -hmm. there's so many variables and you never know what's going to happen. And right now, like with QVC, I'm broadcasting out of my house right now. So the stress level is even higher mm -hmm. because so much can go wrong. Well, and we talked to uh, Kevin Sauter in one of our earlier episodes, and he was saying that <clears throat> even though he's a, a professor who teaches public speaking, he gets nervous when he has to do public speaking. And it's actually a good thing because it keeps you on your toes and you get that energy and adrenaline going. So it's not a bad thing. I would agree. Yeah. So from there, you've gone on to quite a few different places. How did that, how did you get to Austin, Reno, Knoxville, Westchester, PA? Yeah, I really, Ron calls it 
Ron is my husband. He calls it the traveling circus because <laughs> we moved around so much. And when I first got into TV, I really prided myself on the fact that I didn't have to move. Like I was in the Minneapolis market, which as you know, John is 14 or was 14. I don't know what they are now, but I started there. And so usually you move around, you move up to the bigger markets. And when I got the job at HSN, and that's a story in and of itself in confidence, I just changed everything. And so what ha- I'll tell you that story quickly in case you in case you want to hear it, because it does have to do with confidence. I um, had been working for the St. Paul Pioneer Press newspaper and doing the talk show for seven, nine years for, with the talk show, seven years for the Pioneer Press. And I liked it a lot. It was fun. But I was doing a lot of commercial work. So they um, I had two agents at the time and I was out going to my my appointments, doing my thing with my business. And I got a call to go to a go-see and a go-see is where you don't really know what you're walking into. You just go see what's up and you walk in and, and if they like you, then they hire you. And if they don't, you go, okay, well, I didn't really know what it was anyway. So anyway, the first one called me, it was a snowy day, John. I was dressed like a slob. I had jeans on and a parka like you do when you're from Minnesota and big moon boots. That tells you how far back this goes. And I got this call to go to the holiday Inn on campus that there was a go-see. And I said, no, no, can't go. I got another appointment. I look like a slob, blah, blah, blah. So I let it go. About 10 minutes later, the other agent calls and says, you really need to go to this. We think it's good for you. Oh, all right, I'll go. So I pull in, I walk in looking like a slob, but I had my nice briefcase over my shoulder and I walk down the hall and there is, as far as I can see, this is the eighties now, women with giant shoulder pads and business suits, all sitting in a line on either side of the hallway, looking nervous as heck. And with their little, you know, legs crossed and little hands folded. And so I walk all the way, you know, in front of all of them, thrump, thrump, making that noise that the moon boots make right? <laughs> going all the way up to the front. And I said, I'm here for my audition, blah, blah, blah. She said, okay, well, it's about a 50 minute wait and just find an empty seat and we'll call you. And I, I said, oh no, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> minutes and I hope you'll see me. But if you don't, I understand. Right. And she's like, wow. Okay. Wait a minute. And she disappears into the room and I'm thinking, oh, that maybe I shouldn't have done that. And then she comes back out and she goes, going in, they'll see you right now. I said, okay. So I didn't care. I didn't know what it was. I didn't, you know, whatever I walk in and everybody's again, looking nervous. They've got cameras and stuff. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. They say to me, sell this to us. And they hand me a herringbone chain. I'm like, okay. So because I was not nervous because I was confident, mostly because I was in the moment and not outside of myself, looking at myself, I was instead immersed in what was happening. And I just talked about it for a couple minutes and left. And I remember calling my mom and saying, mom, I just went to this crazy audition. It's in Tampa, Florida. And I really think they're going to hire me. I have no idea what it is. Can you do some research on the Home Shopping Network for me? Now, this is before computers even, right? And she's like, oh, I'll see what I can find out. Anyway, she calls me back. She goes, oh, honey, why don't you just go for the winter? <laughs> just go down there for the winter. And I was there for, I mean, a long time, 13 years. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's how that happened. But if I didn't have the confidence or actually the gumption just to show up, because to me, half a confidence mm-hmm. is just showing up and going through the motions and doing what your intention is, Mm -hmm. right? If you stay in that intention, then you're going to have a better outcome than if you're distracted and nervous and thinking about, you know, do I have a chive in my tooth or something? Mm -hmm. As long as you're on the, long as you're on the straight and narrow, usually come out better. Yeah. It doesn't matter how confident you think you are if you don't show up to do it. So yeah, I, I agree with that. The 
trying stuff and, and and you've tried a lot of different things and had success at almost all of them that I've seen but there's got to be something out there and let's have you throw yourself under the bus where do you find that you don't have confidence what area gives you pause and makes you go mm, I don't think I should sing or I don't think I should do whatever it is well what you area? and I both know that I shouldn't sing right <laughs> <laughs> That is something I just should not do. That's what I leave to the barbershop quartet guy. No, I do have things that that make me nervous that, you know, shake my confidence. And I have found that it's gotten worse for me now that I've gotten older and realized the stakes. That was the same thing with what I did with WCCO. Once I realized I had the job, then I got nervous. Once I realized I was achieving my dream at QVC, then I got nervous when I got the job at QVC. And this has always been where I wanted to be was at Q. They're the biggest in the world. They're the best, you know, and I had really honed in on the fact that I was going to be a jewelry expert and really gone and done the education and gotten involved in the industry and all of those kinds of things. So I knew that's ultimately what I wanted my end game to be, but it took two years to happen, two years of waiting, you know, waiting out non-competes and all of that stuff. Plus there wasn't a position for me at the time. And there was a lot of back and forth, you know, we would like you just hang tight, you know, don't work for anybody in the country, or we're going to have to make you sit out again, this kind of thing. And you're like, it's never going to happen. I mean, my husband, he really thought they were just stringing me along. He's like, listen, you got to find income. You know, this is, this is not funny. <laughs> you really need to figure this out. <laughs> but then the call came and they weren't kidding. And they offered me a position that I've always wanted. And I think being patient is really important in building confidence as well. You have to, again, in the stillness, you find the confidence by, by sitting quietly, by getting centered, by doing the work. You know, being prepared is like my middle name. I get teased about it all the time. Like when I'm doing a show, I over-prepare for the show. And part of it has to do with the fact that I have a vision issue. As you know, John, I'm legally blind. I don't have any peripheral vision. I don't, I can't drive at night. I'm it's a degenerative eye disease. And so what I do is a lot of minute work in diamonds. I mean, to get my graduate degree, I'm really proud of that because I had to grade diamonds. I had to be able to identify inclusions. I had to be able to do all of these things that sighted people have a hard time doing, but I did it. You know, again, pushing the envelope, trying to do something that you can't do. I had two instances in my life of things that I was disappointed in myself because I couldn't achieve them. One of them I had no control over. The other one I did. And I, I really should have made uh, some changes there. They both surround QVC. So the first, which one do you want to hear first? You want to hear the one I could have controlled or the one that was out of my control? I like the one you could have controlled first. And then let's go for mayhem out of control at the end. Okay. Uh, so the one that I, I controlled then is what you're asking me mm -hmm. for was my graduate degree with the Gemological Institute of America. So that was the one that I couldn't control. I got the graduate degree. There's only one degree that I don't have with that organization. And that is your GG, which is the graduate gemologist. And I wanted it really badly. And I worked really hard. I didn't ask them for any special treatment because I'm blind or anything like that. They were super nice there. I worked my ass off. The last, um, excuse my language, the last bit of it, I went to the campus. I spent my last couple of months there in classroom to get extra assistance, you know, if I had any questions or whatever, but I did not pass that test. And it was because I physically couldn't. 
So that's the one that I could not control. I, I tried physically, I couldn't do it. And there comes a point when you have to realize too, you do have a limitation when you're handicapped like I am. So I'm not ashamed of it, but man, it still just burns. It's still, you know, it still bothers me, but being, having a graduate degree, both in color gemstones and in diamonds is important to my business. So I'm proud of that, but doggone it. I wish I could. And I missed it by one flipping identification. When you, um, when you're doing your, your final exam, they give you a set of stones and you have to get every single test on every single stone. Perfect. And you have to record it perfectly in order to pass. And so no, I missed it by one, which kind of stunk. So I either have to take the entire thing over again and try it again, or I just have to say, you know what? It's not going to work. And I don't think it's going to work for me. I've lost too much as far as vision goes. Mm-hmm. Now, the one that I, I could have controlled dog on it was when I, my very first airing, when I finally got to QVC, I made the mistake of looking back at how far I'd come, which you should never do that. In my opinion, don't look back at how far you come, keep your eye on the prize and what's ahead of you. Right. But oh no, I went through this whole thing about, oh my gosh, can you believe my life? I started off in, in Minnesota. Then I went to Tampa and then I, I worked for a startup in, Austin, Texas, where I helped to hire some of the hosts and I was training some of the hosts and uh, we launched that channel and I was the very first host on the air there. That was a big accomplishment. From there, I went out to Reno, Nevada to a similar thing and worked for a startup there. From there, uh, that channel invested money in jewelry television and I was part of the package. And so I ended up moving to Knoxville, Tennessee, and I was their morning host there for five years. And then I sat out and waited for Q to come and knock in. And that's how it all came about. And I thought, this is it. This is my stop. I think I'm the only one that I know of that has worked at so many different channels and been successful at every one of them. So I'm, again, very proud of what I've been able to accomplish with all of that. So I'm standing there on the stage, ready to go out there. And I look over my very first host at QVC as somebody that I admired my whole life. Her name is Jane Tracy. She's been there from the very beginning. In fact, this year, she's celebrating 35 years on the air. And so she is intimidating to me. She's so gracious in person and so loving and so warm and like willing to help. But I was scared out of my mind. And I thought, what the heck is wrong with me? I, she, I have nothing to be afraid of. I know what I'm doing. Lights came on, John. And for the first time in my 30 year career, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I'm on national TV. I'm in front of 90 million people, 90 million people. And that's all I could think of. Oh, my God. 90 million people, and I'm going to blow it. I hadn't done my thing in, I think, four years at that point. I had been off the air for four years. I'm like, are they still going to like me? Are they still going to want to shop with me? Are, are they even going to remember who I was? Anyway, I overcame it, but it took a while. It mm-hmm. honestly didn't happen immediately. It took a while. And I don't think she even believed that she was as intimidating to me as she was, but she was. To me, it wasn't that she was intimidating as a person. She was like a symbol of what I'd been working for my entire career. Mm -hmm. And it made me nervous. I lost my confidence and I found it again, which is great. And now that I'm more myself, I'm having more fun at it and it's good. And, you know, that's the thing. If you're vulnerable enough to open up and show people who you are, you're going to gain that confidence because you're coming from a place of truth that Mm -hmm. way. You're coming from a place of authenticity. And I think people can spot it a mile away. Don't you? I mean, they know when you're being a phony and a fake, we all do. (laughs) Right. So yeah, I am what I am and that's all that I am. Isn't that how it goes? Yeah. 
yeah no it's and i i think it's interesting that i tend to look back and live in the past because i enjoyed the past and i enjoy the future too but i don't want to forget the past but i do think for some people that don't think much of themselves it's important for them to look back and say hey you didn't used to be able to even walk you couldn't feed yourself you're in diapers you've come a long way so for some people it is that is an important thing i know in toastmasters being able to have a video of your first speech that you ever give and then perhaps your last speech that you ever give you being able to look at the, the difference between the two you go wow i'm so much better than i was before and i do think there's there is some of that but i do think it's important to have that what's next what am i going to do next that carrot in front of you is much more important than all of the uh the things behind you so that is that is important i love that you prepare because preparing i think is one of the best ways to get that confidence confidence totally oh. completely agree 100% yeah and i've seen people that haven't prepared and i've been that person that hasn't prepared and it's a world of difference it's so much, so much different so that's something that i think everybody needs to take to heart but the more preparation you do the practice stuff especially being on air now i should point out that in the research here it shows that you have been on air live unscripted for more than 20,000 hours. That's a That's lot. True. That is a it lot. is a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is. And there's been a lot of crazy things that have happened over the years, some really funny things, because it's all been live television. Uh huh. And so, as you know, that adds a, a different layer. Right. And you have to have, you have to have a what different set of armor. Wrong? Yeah, you have, to have a different set of armor for sure. Yes. But uh, there's been some wonderful moments that way, too. So there's a benefit to it. I think live TV is the best type of TV. It's the most honest type of TV. Mm -hmm. um, and 20,000 hours is a lot, but mm -hmm. I'm hoping for 20,000 more because I love what I do. You know, uh, again, QVC has been really good to me. I've got a huge day coming up. If anybody wants to shop diamonds on uh, December 17th, December I will be 17th. on with uh, today's special value, which is a beautiful three carat ring. And uh, just in time for the holidays, we can guarantee holiday delivery and all of that. But we've got diamond shows all throughout the day. I start at midnight. Well, actually the pre-show, the prep starts about 1030 the night before and goes through till midnight. Okay. So you'll be able to catch me at some point during the day. And it's just fun. You know, I love interacting with the customers. That gives me confidence, you know, mm -hmm. uh, reaching out to the people that you're working with or dealing with, um, depend, no matter what your profession is, it helps you feel more confident in what you do. And it also helps you to be more recognized as an expert. For those that are interested in the jewelry business too, um, you mentioned that I'm on the International Board of Directors for the Women's Jewelry Association. We have a ton of programs through WJA, which can help you to grow and help you to network and help you to build your confidence. Everything from how to run a business to public speaking to, you know, you name it. There's so many more programs than ever before. And there's mentorship programs there that, that are free. So WJA.com. Uh, Women's Jewelry Association, come and use our services because we really do feel great about the outreach that we're doing globally. And we want to share that information. And confidence is a big part of that. I don't want to skip over you are solid gold, because I think that's very important. That we Thank talk you. about that. You decided you didn't have enough on your plate with all <laughs> the stuff that you're doing. Tell us about you are solid gold, how that came about. Sure. You Are Solid Gold is my podcast, and I would love it if you guys stop by and check it out. It's a little self-indulgent on my part 
in that I talk about things that I love and enjoy. But the reason that it came to be was because of the pandemic. You know, during the pandemic, I just couldn't see a lot of selling diamonds on television when people were worrying about their life and, you know, how they were going to pay their mortgage payment and all of that. And so we pulled a lot of our diamond programming during that time uh, because of that, even though love happens, even in times of the pandemic and trouble uh, and people need diamond rings, we still pulled it way back and just left it available on the website. So that left me with some free time, but it also left me very um, depressed with what was going on around me. There's a fine line between being informed and like being really hypersensitive to it. So I decided I wanted to spread some positivity in the world. And that's why I developed You Are Solid Gold, because I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about the listeners and the solid gold people in their life, the solid gold places, things that make their life better. And it's really been a fun project. I'm a Sagittarian and I love to travel. You know that, John. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the early ones that I did. The programs were about different places that I've traveled to or that I want to travel to. And I do it not only as a podcast, but I also do it on YouTube. So if you like to see the pretty pictures, you come to the YouTube channel. If you just want to you know, listen while you're at the gym, then of course the podcast is for you, but I would welcome you all to come and join us. It's a lot of fun and we're ramping up here for next year. So you, you are, are solid gold. gold. Excellent. Thank you. And I, I Curious, you talked about this person that in, not really intimidated you, but by whom you were intimidated or self-intimidated. Did you ever have a mentor or someone that helped you through stuff? Not really. I mean, the business that I'm in is pretty tough. You know, it's, um, it's pretty tough. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cutthroat. And this is where you have to have a lot of confidence within yourself or be able to pull it out from within yourself. I have had people that have been instrumental in my life and to some degree have been a mentor. Colleen Lopez comes to mind. She's a wonderful person. I think you knew Colleen when she mm-hmm. worked up in the Minneapolis market, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. When I when I was offered the job, she was the only person I knew in town that was working in television shopping at the time. So I called her and I said, what do you think? Is this a thing? You think this is going to be around for a while? Should I, you know, uproot my life and move to Tampa? And she was super supportive. And, and that was great. Dan Dennis was another one who welcomed me into his home. There's, there's a lot of really good people out there in the business too, but it is very, very competitive. Mm-hmm. It's very cutthroat. And although people are, are very nice, they're all looking out, you know, for their best interests. So mm-hmm. not really a mentor. As far as this part of my life goes, I would say in the early days, Rip Reardon was probably the closest thing that I had to somebody really in my corner, but he was trying to discourage me from being an on-air talent. (laughs) He wanted me to go into uh, sales for uh, the Fox affiliate up in the Minneapolis market, but he was always um, standing behind me and I knew it. I think it's interesting. You said that you had that person up on a pedestal and I've been in that position too, where I put people on a pedestal and they don't know they're on a pedestal. Uh, but from my point of view, I, I think, especially in the barbershop world, I see these championship barbershoppers and I think, oh, they are so fantastic. Well, they're, you know, manager at a Chick-fil-A and an accountant at a accountant firm. And they, they're just regular people doing regular jobs. But in that small setting, I've put them up on this pedestal. And so when yes. I get around them, I go because I can't talk to them. <laughs> I know when exactly in, what you're saying. I in fact, they, they're going, what, what? And unless they know that I know them from barbershop, they're just going, well, what's the deal? So I do, I do think that we, that inner voice 
is telling us stuff that we sh- sometimes shouldn't listen to and shouldn't hear. I don't know how, how you are with your inner voice and listening to it or not listening to it. But I think that's a very powerful aspect of confidence. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about earlier is, you know, staying in the moment, staying focused on what you're doing at that one step forward, because it's when you start to listen to the inner voice or look at around you what's going on or, oh, my God, is Jane Tracy standing next to me? It's at those moments that the knees start to knock and you start to your confidence starts to slip. Like, John, I would have never guessed that you ever had a problem with confidence all the years that I've known you. So it's always really um it always makes me smile when I hear you say, yeah, I struggle with the same thing as everybody else does, because you're right. We all do it. We right. all do. And so it's important. Yeah. To remember that you're exactly right. That we're well, all I was a theater the arts same. major. So we had to, we learned to pretend real quickly, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, and I think that a lot of times people do pretend and they're not confident, but they, they hide it. Well, I think that's a, a key to it is hiding it better than the next person. I think we do that all the time. And, but I do think that, as a cheerleader, as a theater arts major, um, as a family of very outgoing people, I've just had all this, all this skill or talent uh, for lying and uh, putting a false front up. So I look confident, but yeah, deep down, I think I think a lot of people suffer from or deal with all those confidence issues. That's the whole reason for the podcast. Is we're right. all we're all doing it. Just some of us hide it better than others. So that's but, a really good point. Before we go out here, is there one tip that you can give people to help them gain or maintain their confidence? What I do every time I'm getting ready to go on the air is I actually, I shake, shake out. I shake my, physically shake my limbs, you know, like they tease me because I do a little dance before the camera comes to me. But I find that if I shake my booty a little bit, if I shake it out, it helps me to ground myself. Sometimes if I can't shake my booty because Martha Stewart's standing next to me and she's going on right before I am, that would be ridiculous if I did that, right? Uh, I'll stand there and I'll imagine that I've got roots growing through my feet into the earth, right? You just visualize, creative visualization is really helpful to me. So I'll visualize that physical grounding and it helps. I need to stay focused. I need to stay grounded and not go out on automatic pilot or rote communication, but instead like really listen to what the other person's saying to you and really internalize it and feel it before you respond. So yeah, staying present, staying in the moment, not looking back, but looking forward works for me. So that's how I do it. Love it. Well, thank you very much for being here. And I'm sure we will be talking shortly, but it's been great having you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Good luck with everything. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Today's tip of the day. Confidence can be collected by not caring as much about the outcome. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can get more information about confidence and check out the merchandise store on the website at collectingconfidence.com. If you like what you heard, subscribe and pass the link along to a friend who needs to collect confidence. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It's one of the only ways to know if I'm doing a good job. Another way to let me know is to go to the support page. Consider making a small monthly pledge. A pledge as small as the cost of a cup of coffee each month goes a long way to keep the episodes and the information coming your way. The last way to let me know what you think is to drop by our Facebook page or send me an email at john at collectingconfidence.com. I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to help you. Now let's go collect confidence.